Hello, everyone. How are we all? Happy? <laughs> uh, my name's Miranda Sawyer. I am very happy to be the host of uh, BAFTA's A Life in Pictures. I don't know if you've guessed who it's going to be yet, but I'll give you a few clues, OK? OK, so this actor is one of Britain's best-loved character actors, uh, known for Twinkle in Dinner Ladies, uh, Veronica in Shameless, Martha in Silk. Her versatility and truth means that she's as happy playing a 70s stand-up as she is the good old Prince of Denmark, i.e. Hamlet. She finds the heart in every part. Have you guessed who it is yet? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to see some more clues, and then I'm going to bring her on. Well, I don't mind wearing a G-string, sticking me bumming someone's face once in a while. That's just plain death. I don't taste. I don't even do your heart. Don't let fear of feeling fool you. What you see sets you apart. I have a lost soul, so I'll never lose all. Time is too hard to lose all thoughts I've got. So we are going to be talking about your fabulous career, obviously, but I want to rewind, rewind right back to the beginning. Um, I have heard that you decided that you were interested in acting age 13. What was it that triggered your interest? For me, I think growing up in our household, um, there was a lot of comedy. I remember sitting with my dad watching The Goodies and Dick Henry Shaw. Um, you know, things like Mike How uh, Mike Yarwood, Mike Howard. Mark Yard, yeah. Mike Yard, I was just talking about that. Catch. And um, Two Ronnies, Malcolm and Wise. So for me, it was, initially it was about making people laugh. I wanted to be a comedian. That's what I wanted to do. Oh, I thought I did because that felt sort of in a strange way more 
obtainable than being an actor because the faces that did that look a little bit more like mine. And then obviously, you know, and then going Victoria Wood, Julie yeah. Walters, um, sketch shows, I thought, that's what I want to do. I'm, when I get older, I'm going to go to university, I'm going to meet a, a, you know, a, a band of people, similar sense of humour, and we're going to start up a, a comedy troupe and, and the rest of the history, and it didn't quite work like that. It didn't work like no. that, did it? No. no. But you did, I mean, you did do the kind of things that weren't, you, 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 should, you should do to be an actor. So you joined a youth theatre, didn't you? You joined Bolton yeah, Octagon. Yeah, I joined Bolton Octagon. Yeah, not for long, though. <laughs> I did, it's that thing, I, 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 I was that weird mix of it's what I wanted to do, but on the surface, I didn't look like. You know, and it's not just I was big, but I remember, you know, at that time I had bass and haircut, and I was, I think I was about 14, so it was 32-inch flows, that, those horrendous Carpet tops from Afflex Palace. Oh, they were quite nice. That looked like yeah. they were slightly flea riddled. Yeah. An African awareness pendant. You know, yeah. I'd not. I'll just. Um, yeah, I just. I, I think I just sort of presented not as a, a theatrical, um, and and personality wise, it, it, I remember being at Bolton and it was sort of again everyone. It was all this all singing, all dancing. Everyone was very confident. Um, and quite large, you know, larger than life, and, and that really intimidated me. So I didn't stay there long. I, I, I lost my bottle with it and left. You lost your bottle and left, yeah. but you did move through other... You went to the Royal Exchange. Well, and the, yeah, because the Royal Exchange was very different. That was, there was only seven people in there, and it was much more low-key. It just felt... Active. There was a bit more... We were a bit more uh, a collection of odd bods there. Yeah. Um, but there and were, were you learning? What did you feel like you were learning there? I think... I, it was, it, I for me, what I learned there was about the reality of, of a part, about naturalism, about being honest and truthful, that acting isn't just about, you know, presenting, uh, you know. And we did a lot of plays, you know, and reading, and that was something I hadn't done at school. I mean, we'd read Taste of Honey, and yeah. I read Road, and those were the only two plays. And Road was a massive influence on me when I was at at school, obviously, from being from Bolton, Jim yeah. Cartwright's Road, I don't know if they know it, and it's, you know, it's set in Bolton, you know, a sort of slightly heightened version of Bolton, or yeah. in some cases not. Um, but, yeah, I'd not really studied plays. I'd, 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 I just went into it all the wrong way about. I didn't really know what to do. I went, I want to perform. I suppose at the time I wanted to show off, basically, if I'm yeah. really honest about it. But also, it's, it's that consequence, isn't it, of not really knowing what the root is. Yeah. So if you're from, not from a, a family that understands what the root is to get into acting, then yeah. you try all sorts of different things. I mean, you went to kind of Salford Tech to do, yeah. to do acting as well, didn't you? Which you stuck out, even though... Yeah, two it... weeks in, they said, we think you should leave. And... <laughs> <laughs> Although they seem to forgot that some of the tutors come and see me now in shows and go, oh, you must come back and talk to the students. And they can't tell them about how horrible you were to me, but that's fine. But no, I mean, but I learned a lot there. What I learned there, which was a priceless lesson, was about discipline. And it was about, it's not always going to go your way. And it is, for me, about what I learned is about sticking it out, even when people are telling you you're not good enough. But that's quite interesting, isn't it? Because that's a kind of stubbornness yes. and a kind of, a, a kind of way of, of sticking at something that you thought, well, I might be good at this, even if people don't agree. Yeah. And you, because you, you then had a quite a lot of series of knockbacks, didn't you, to different acting schools that you applied to? Yeah. Yeah, I got rejected. For three years, I got rejected from every drama school I applied for. And then it was only in the final year that myself and I'd met... Um, I don't know, this, this actress, she's doing all right for herself, Diane Morgan, um, <laughs> you know, Philomena Conk, Motherland, Conk. all amazing, amazing things. And we met at auditioning for Manchester Met. 
And I remember doing her audition speech and going, God, she's amazing. She's got to get in. And I remember sidling up to her afterwards and after the, we'd all auditioned. They did these big sort of very cruel group auditions where everyone had to audition in front of everybody. And I sort of sidled up to her when I was having a cup of tea and I went, oh, I think you're brilliant. And she went, oh, thank you. She said, you're not so bad yourself. So we sort of became friends. And then she, I was horrified because I didn't get in, but I was sort of not, it was my second year, I think, Diane's first. And Diane didn't get in and I was sort of really shocked. And I thought, well, they definitely don't know what they're talking about. Diane's not good. And then we sort of said, come on, should we audition for RADA? Because they came to the Royal Exchange in Manchester to audition. So we said, we won't have to pay. Yep. To go to London because it was so expensive. And it's, I mean, that's the problem now with drama school still. You know, it's so expensive. I mean, then I think it was like 25 to 35 pound a time. And now I think it's, I don't know. Yeah, just to apply. Just Plus to, you have to travel yeah, and, and stay. and go to London. And then if you got a recall, then it was, you know, we were saying on the YMCA in North Street, you know, sort of, yeah, scraping by. And then there was no chance of, you know, the fee, you know, how would I, how would I manage the fees? But I didn't think about that. I, I was just saying before, if I'd have thought about things logically and practically, I wouldn't. There's no way I'd have gone to drama school. I wouldn't be here. You've got to sort of... Yeah, not many yeah. actors are logical. No, no, practical, no, I have to say. No. So you, so you, essentially you auditioned for Arda because they came to the Royal Exchange. Yeah, and I wanted to see what all the fuss was about. And I, um, so me and Diane <laughs> said, come on, let's go along. And I think because... And I'd just been doing theatre and education at TIE, so I've been going around in a minibus around the schools of North West, uh, trying to encourage children to do the GMVQs. I was having a whale of a time, and actually at the time I thought, well, I'll just do this. This is good fun. Yeah. I so got, you had your troop. So I got, I'd got my troop. Yeah, because I'd, I'd applied. I remember my mum saying to me, I said, when I said I want to be an actor, I, it taken me a long time to admit to anybody, and I thought I'm just going to get ridiculed. And my mum said, well, you know, a single parent family. She was bringing me and my sister up, working part time, struggling, you know, financially. And she said, well, how? And to her, it just seemed a million miles away. It was something that happened in that there London mm. to people who didn't look or sound like I did. You know what I mean? It was that, there's a myth around it. And I, and I think there was an anxiety with her because she thought, you, she, I think she thought my heart was going to get broken. Yeah. You know, so, and I just remember one day coming downstairs and she's on the phone. She says, oh, she's messing about, still on and doing this acting. And I thought, right, I've got to do something now. So I applied and made this, my friend Cheryl in her front room, my dad had it, they were her parents were teachers. So they had a video camera, I remember. Yeah. And we made this, we put a sheet, bedding sheet up on a living room wall. And I did these terrible monologues from plays and sent it off to various cooperative agencies in around the Northwest. And a, a lovely agency called um, uh, Cracking North of Watford, who was based at Bridge Mill at Hebden Bridge, sort of called me in for a meeting and they, they took me they took me on. Yeah. And then from that I got um, uh, uh, one of the young women who was in, Helen Lacey, who was in the um, cooperative of, uh, then, it wasn't her husband then, but her then husband-to-be ran this theatre and education uh, company. So it was sort of a bit of nepotism. She said, oh, come on, I'll get you. You got in there. Because I was trying for everything. Everything. I think nearly every theatre and education company in the North West I applied to. And nothing. Wigan Pier. Do you remember? Yeah. Remember anybody from, and, and anyway, I died. But, but there was a lot of rejection. Yeah. And, and What do you think it is about you then that just took the rejection? Because it's, you know, it is, it's very hard. <laughs> My mum said, oh, God, you've got thick skin. That's what she's just But that's a vital part for being Well, as, I always say this. You have to have thick skin and you have to have very thin skin. It's like you have to sort of have a vent that it, yeah. it, it switches. But I think it was, it's what I knew. <laughs> I, I never, it's not like I ever even thought I was great at it. I just, I had to do it. 
you know, and even though I was going, I'm not particularly talented. I wasn't these youngsters at the Bolton Octagon who were really confident and could sing and dance and do any accent that you threw at them. I couldn't do that. I don't really know why. If I'd have thought about it logically, I'd gone, well, you're not, you've not got that many strings to your bow, really. <laughs> but you want to do it. But it, it, was a, it was a desire. I remember sort of going, yeah, I, I have to. Okay. You know, so. well, look, let's really quickly talk about Rada and then I want to talk about uh, Dinner Ladies, which kind of came very soon after that. When you got into Rada, so you got into Rada yeah. and you were, uh, you also got your fees paid, you got a kind of grant, which is amazing. Yeah, I got a scholarship, yeah, scholarship to that. So you go to Rada, yeah. and I, I have nothing to do with acting, I'm intimidated by Rada, yeah. you know. I mean, it must have been quite a big deal. Well, you know, I thought I was going to turn up at RADA and everybody was going to be the offspring of lords and ladies. And, you know, there's one or two. Mm. But I was like, oh, God, there's loads of northerners. <laughs> Liverpool, there's lots of working class people. The, 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 the beauty about RADA, and actually when I got to the final workshop round audition at RADA, I remember thinking, this is the drama school I feel most comfortable at, bizarrely. It felt most welcoming and, more, and, and most democratic for me. And... Um, and when I got there, there was such a great mix of people from all walks and, you know, all walks of life, very diverse, because they had, the, they had the, I suppose, the financial clout to be able to take who they wanted. I mean, I got, an, I got a conditional place. It was conditional that I then got this scholarship. It was so, um, Patricia Rothermay, basically a Daily Mail, paid for me to go to. Um, so it's their fault. Every time they slag me off, I go, well, it's your fault, I'm here. I mean, um, so, yeah, so, but I, I, I wasn't really, in some respects. There was a lot of people who'd already been to Oxford and Cambridge or other universities, so that way I felt intimidated. I felt, but I was, I mean, I was 21 by the time I'd got in anywhere, but I still felt quite young in some respects. I felt slightly more streetwise than, than yeah. quite some of them. Um, but educationally quite lacking yeah. <laughs> and from there I mean it was very soon after that you actually I think you did the audition while you were still at RADA for Dinner Ladies yes. is that right and so you went along to the uh, to the audition and it's Victoria Wood I mean that's yeah. a big deal isn't it that was a huge again I didn't I still remember getting the call I'd signed with an agency um Burnett Granger um They'd, I remember everyone else in the third year were getting offers. People were fighting over, you know, they're going, I've got, oh, I've got, I've got so many agents, of, you know, and I got one agent who was interested. You need one. Yeah, well, exactly. So when I just thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm gonna, I went for a meeting and I just thought, well, I've not got any choice. And, not, and actually, and not just that, I went to meet them and they were lovely and fantastic and had a vision for me that was like, oh, that's exciting. You know, they, they can see some potential. Um, and so I got a call from them saying, look, you've got, uh, we've got you an audition for this Victoria Wood sitcom. And I couldn't believe it. But I'd, I never even thought, I'm gonna, I'd, I've got to get this, I'm going to get this. I just thought, I'm going to be in the same room as Victoria Wood. That's, I got slightly overexcited about that. I thought, I'll never get the job in a million years, but just to you know, have that experience. Yeah. So again, I think sometimes my naivety sort of... Because I yeah. think if I thought about things too much, I would get myself in some sort of tears. Well, I I think we should have a look at Dinner Ladies because you got that job. <laughs> so should yeah. we have a clip of dinner, of dinner Ladies and then we'll talk a little bit more about it. It's all happening down there, isn't it? I've never seen it this busy. Ain't set up for first meal break. You're joking me. There's two of us doing five people's jobs here. She's hardly cleared up from dinner time. But what about Anita? She's falling in her nose. 
Well, she's in no breach if she don't come back. This is a voluntary shift. Oh, do you mean voluntary? They can't make you do it. Oh, I didn't get that. I thought it was like compulsory. Well, but we can't let factory down. I can. Do an extra shift for that bum-faced trap pound and off. Keeping the canteen going is keeping the men going. It's keeping the factory open. Do you know what I mean? Leave it around. No offence, but look around. It's a tatty old canteen in a crummy old factory. It's going to close down sooner or later. You're asking me to work through the night for that scrotum. <laughs> I know, but it's not to do with her. This is for men and for Mr. Michael and for Tony. Do you know what I mean? And for us. Do you know what I mean? I mean, we're a team, aren't we? Do you know what I mean? I mean, do you not think that that means something? Don't mean nothing to me. Sorry. See you tomorrow. Well, I'm here anyway, don't forget. I can clear up at least. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Okay, so I want to know, how was your first day? Wow, can I remember that first day? I, 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 what I remember really clearly was the, the recall audition, going into the room, and, and that when I went in, Celia Bimmy was there, and Thelma Bala was there, and Anne Reid was there, and I remember being, yeah, really nervous. And I couldn't quite believe it when I got the job, but I just... I remember everybody being so, so lovely and, and welcoming, but it, it, I, I, I never, it never quite sunk in, in a way. I don't, I, I'd look round. We did an episode once, and it was Thora Heard, Dora Bryan and Eric Sykes. Wow. Yeah, it's like the out-of-body experience. Yeah, and I just got all these people that I'd ad admired and looked up to, you know. Taste of Honey was probably, you know, the first play I read, the f watching the film at school. Dora, you know, Dora Bryan was a big hero, and just, you know, Thora Heard. Yeah, I... I Again, I think I've got that habit of things, I don't let things sink in till sort of the end. I think I'd have, I would have gone bonkers if I'd have thought about it too much. Yeah, it's interesting because I was re obviously reading around uh, dinner ladies and stuff for, for this interview and you have said you were comp basically overwhelmed for two years. Yeah. And that's how you feel now, even Yeah, and, and I still sort of go, wow, I've worked with Victoria Wood, I've worked with Julie Walters, I've worked with Celia Rimley, I've had worked with all those people. Mm. And that was, and, and actually, as your first job on leaving drama school, the bar is so high. Yeah. You know, you know. I thought I've worked with all these comedy greats, not just comedy, but acting. You know, Duncan Preston, all the and the guest people we had in. You know, and, and the friends I made. You know, Shobner, um, Sue Devaney, people that. Yeah, Sue. I mean, Sue was Rita Briggs. Yeah. You know, they were it's these amazing. people. That, so, and it's a, it's an ensemble piece. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I mean, although Twinkle as we just saw, does it, is the kind of person who might strop off occasionally. Yeah. She was quite often quite narky, wasn't she, I think we can say. But it's an ensemble piece. Did you feel like you learnt, I mean, you know, obviously all these people are really great, but there's something to do with an ensemble piece that you learn about timing yeah. and... Yeah, you definitely do. And watching, actually, Thelma Barlow and Anne Reid together were a real masterclass in timing and how they work together. I mean, they're friends anyway, but that doesn't necessarily mean you'll always have great chemistry on screen. But watching those two with the timing and, and actually the, I don't know, the, the detail and the subtlety within it. And, and you know, there's still one of my favorite bits is Thelma Barlow's when she thinks she's had the Viagra, I don't remember the by accident, and she says, you know, it'd be like a Land Rover going down a cul-de-sac the wrong way. And it's just, <laughs> as a monologue, it's, it's, it's amazing, I think. That should definitely be on the drama school list of monologues to do, you know. Yeah, yeah it was just a real eye-opener. And, and to work as a team and to work with somebody like Victoria, whose writing is so precise, it is like music. You know, if you get a word wrong, she'd know. And it wasn't because she was a stickler, it was because she knew it would, it would knock 
you know, it would knock the, the I suppose the timing out or the, the line out. It, it, yeah, and, and it was a great exercise as well of doing it yourself. As everything she, you know, she wrote. I mean, you know, she sort of part directed as well. She was in it. She was always rewriting. So we'd film it on a Friday and then film it again on a Saturday. She'd be up all Friday night rewriting what she'd rewritten on a Saturday, then shoot it again. So it was about, it's graft. It is about this. Graft and standards as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you said um, also that you got advice from her about to do with kind of losing weight and everything. But have she, did she give you any other advice around a career or...? No, I mean, she was just, you know, she was very honest with me. And she said, you, you know, and then obviously I was big. She said, you're big, blonde and northern, you're going to get typecast. She said, so I'm just preparing you. But I'd sort of had, that had been hinted quite strongly to me at drama school as well. You know, right. that there was limitations for me possibly when I left about what I would do. So, and what was their solution, not be northern? Uh, I mean, there was never, you must lose your accent. They encouraged me to, but they were never like, you must. Mm. But I, in some ways, I think because I'd done a little bit of acting before and before going, I just thought, you know what, in a way, it's something that will set me slightly apart as well. Yeah. I think sometimes you've got to play to your strengths and that those can be differences, you know, but I knew if I wasn't careful, then that's, I would just sort of end up as a one-trick pony, which I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but that... I knew that wouldn't be fulfilling for me. Yeah. And how do you go about, I mean, this is, I think that actually, uh, 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 shame, this is a very different part, but if you looked at it in a, in a kind of uh, analytical way, you could say, okay, they're, they're northern comedies, they're modern, you yeah. know, you're playing, a, uh, you're playing a part within that. How do you go about, given that those two parts are absolutely great, not playing that part over and over? I mean, you, is... You just have to say no. And sometimes it's that gamble you have to take. Because what happened after dinner, ladies, I got sort of substandard twinkle sent, you know, every part. It was an episode in something basically playing a twinkle type character. And, you know, and I remember going for auditions and people going, oh, where did she find you? And I went, I went to Rod and that, oh, really? We thought she found you on the street. <laughs> you know, they thought she'd done some street casting. And in some ways, I was sort of in other way, I was like quite flattered because I thought, oh, well, maybe, you know, if people don't think you're a classically, or maybe an insult, it depends what mood I was in. But so. it's, also, it's also that weird thing where people assume that you're not acting, but you're, you are acting. <laughs> and I think they assume, if you speak like this, you can't have possibly been to Rada. But actually, if you looked at my year at Rada, there's quite a few people who spoke like me, or with a Liverpoolian accent, or with a Derbyshire accent, you know, yeah. um, you know, London, South East London, East London accent. You know, there's people with accents. There was quite a few working class people. But I think, yeah. Um, so, but I did then after sort of, and then after Shameless, it was always, I'd got scripts and go, oh, she's having a bunk up in a cupboard with somebody. You know, it would just be then, because you, you, you did a series where it looked like you didn't mind doing lots of sex scenes. Um, then everything I got offered was, you know, and I did used to laugh and go, oh, another good time girl. That's usually what they were called. Yeah. She's a good time girl. And I was, what does that mean? You know, so you just have to say no. And it's hard sometimes because you think, well, that means I'm not going to work. Yeah, and also it's hard when you're younger in that, in that situation because you think, okay, is this going to be all I'm ever offered? But also, you've got to eat. You yeah. know, these things are quite tricky. And it's then you think, I don't want people to think I'm arrogant and I think I'm better than this, and that's hard. And especially I think, I'm not so saying for my background, but maybe just my family. So to actually, you know, telling... I remember when I told my dad I wasn't going to do Silk anymore, he was like, what? And I went, no, I've done three and I'm leaving it. And he was like, you're mad. You've got a regular job, though. Why would you want to not... Why would you voluntary go on, voluntary go on? I, I, you know, it's hard. So you have to ne sort yeah. of negotiate what... 
families' expectations because as far as they're concerned, you've got a you've got, you've a, got job. a gig. You've got a job. You know, you don't you don't say, you know, you carry on with that and you're grateful. Yeah, you know. definitely. I think we should see some silk. Okay. Yeah. Beautifully segued. <laughs> <laughs> the defendant lives a short distance away from the scene of the crime. And you arrested him because there's CCTV footage of a man on a Vespa leaving from outside Mr. Dodd's home address just after the burglary took place. The defendant owns a Vespa. The footage isn't good enough for us to identify it 100%, but... Grounds for suspicion. Grounds for arrest. Mm. Was any of the stolen property recovered from the defendant's flat? Any um, paraphernalia associated with burglary? These things are easily disposed of. Stick to the evidence, officer, not supposition. It's supposition based on 25 years of experience. Then came the ID parade and slam dunk. You haven't been in court until now, so you won't know what Mr Dodd said in the witness box. But you will have heard about the yawn moment. It's most chilling. I torture an old man and yawn. Was he bored? Tired? And this is the kind of behaviour you'd expect from this defendant. Do you have any idea what you're doing, Mr. Stella? You know. <laughs> is it right that this defendant has previous convictions? including three previous convictions for burglary. Yes. And, well, can you tell us about the sentences Mr Rush received for those offences? Probation the first time, 80 hours community service the second time, followed by six months in prison. And 25 years of experience. How do you feel about those sentences? Too short. And 25 years of experience, if... If a man yawns and puts his gloved hand up to his mouth, then if the same hand opens a door using the handle, what will we find on the handle? D-N-A. Yes. <laughs> Who was the first officer to arrive on the scene of the crime? I was. And this was before Socko's, long before forensics had got to the flat. When the door handle was tested, were any fingerprints found? No. So, none? A door handle with nobody's prints on it? Not Mr. Dodds? Not, not the social worker from an hour before? See, Mr. Dodds could have been clearer. The intruder yawned. He put his gloved hand up to his face to cover his yawn. He opened the door with the same hand using the handle. Gather up all your experience, officer. Bring it to the front of your mind and park it next to your anger and tell this jury that someone didn't wipe the handle clean before it was tested. Woohoo! <laughs> So great to have a yes moment, isn't it? DNA. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> Martha was quite. She's quite a, a, a complicated character, but those elements in the in the court were just great, weren't they? That sense of kind of winning. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Peter Moffat. I mean, because Peter had been 
a barrister, uh, the writer Peter, and 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 then had gone into writing and then gone back. So he had that. I mean, you know, of course, it, I think there's always that complaint criticism, isn't there, with courtroom or police dramas that they're not completely correct. But I no. think he got as close as possible. And actually, I mean. I mean, when I used to speak to Barry, you know, you bump into Barry in the street, and it was always Billy in the clerk's office. They go, oh, I my clerk was like a Billy, my, you know. So it, it, it struck a chord. I mean... And did you do a lot of research? When you get a role like this, which is essentially, you know, it's a professional role, isn't yeah. it? You've got to make sure that it's realistic, even if the, some of the details aren't quite right. Do you do a lot of research? Yes. Or? And that's, the, that's one of the most exciting bits about it. I mean, when I first, literally, when I found out, I got off the phone to say I'd got the part. I got on my bike <laughs> straight away and I went down. So I got so excited. And I couldn't quite believe I'd been cast as a barrister. So that was really exciting. I was going, oh, crikey, how am I going to pull this one off? So I got on my bike straight away and I went down to Manchester Crown Court. And um, there was a, a young man in and he'd been accused of stealing a bag from M&S. And uh, there was this couple sat in front of me. I was in the public gallery and this woman turned me. She went, do you want a sweet? <laughs> I said, I'm all right, thanks. She said, do you come here often? I said, no, she said, we do, we come every day. She said, it's great. She says, we've just been over to a fraud case. She says, and I tell you now, it looks like butter wouldn't melt. <laughs> <laughs> and I was going, I love the fact that this couple came, you know, they were sort of probably in the 60s. And then I sort of did that. And then, and then once the ball got rolling, they sent me off to uh, Furnable, Furnable Chambers uh, to, to work with, um, to do some research. And I sort of spent about three, four days. And then I went to the Old Bailey and... Um, and Peter's ex-pupil master is now a high court judge. So he said, oh, we'll have a word with, um, I don't I shouldn't say that. Anyway, they said, we'll have a word and see if, um, he, you know, you can have a meeting with him. He said, oh, I'll do better than that. You can come and sit in. And I thought, oh, I'll just sit in, you know, somewhere at the back. And he went, no, 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 get him a chair. So he sat here at the table, you know, presiding over the corner. He just put me a chair. And it was these four men who was accused of merging somebody with a machete in a beer garden in East London. He went, just ignore her. She's, you know, and I thought, they're going to go, that's Twinkle from Dinner Lady. She sent her down. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh, crikey. You know, and they did get sent down for quite a long time. I was thinking, oh, I have to dye my hair in about seven years. Um, but, uh, yeah, and it was, I loved it. And what was brilliant was the, barrister, the barristers, they're, they're more theatrical and more dramatic than actors. Yeah. There's a real, you know, there's a, a real sort of kinship in a, in a way, and they, they like to party. I mean, I would bail out most nights, and it was like three o'clock, and they're going, oh, yeah, we'll go home and be on the eight o'clock train back into Waterloo. And I was like, oh, my oh. God, how'd you do it? But I suppose, you know, the job, it's so high Howard and I pressured, but you know, and then you go for that face going, Oh, why didn't I know about this? I, I, oh, I wish I'd have been a barrister, I would have been a terrible barrister, but I, I loved it. And I do miss, I did love doing Silk, it was great fun. There was a kind of, it was a move into the mainstream for you, wasn't it? Yeah. I kind of, I've got a quote which a journalist wrote about you uh, before this, and it said, You'd made a stellar career out of playing misfits, emotional wrecks, and hard bitten survivors. He missed out the good time girls. So, and um, there was a sense that you were making a move to the mainstream. Yeah. Is that how it felt for you? Well, yeah, and there was a panic. I remember I'd been offered another job at the same time, which was just a one-off BBC. It was a, main, it's a mainstream, but it would have just been a six-parter done mm. and dusted. And I remember thinking, well, that's, that, that's what I want to do. I remember my agent saying, I think it's about time you did something, Mum. And that really panicked me, in a way, because I never quite... 
And why did it panic you? I don't know, because I didn't... I remember somebody once described me as a bit more like the, an indie band of the acting world, and I quite like that. Yeah. Because I'd always never been, as a person, never really into the mainstream. Yeah, so you didn't want to be Katy Perry, you weren't... No, no, I wanted, you know, I don't know, well, a little bit more the wedding present. Yeah. But, you know... I <laughs> know. But, so it was a... Yeah, I remember not going, oh, brilliant, I've got this. And then, and at first when I, and then I thought, oh, it's just going to, this, you know, I wasn't signed up to do more than one series. And then they said, oh, we're going to do another and then another. And that's when by three I went, I've got to, I've done it. And I, I think I've done as much as I can. And that's what I worry as well is, is, is where do you carry on taking a character? Yeah. And I lose interest quite quickly and focus. And I feel it's hard to keep coming back to a character year, year after year and try and, 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 and keep focus with it. Yeah, it's interesting as well, because if you're a lead, I mean, also, the other, there's a responsibility to being in a series and being the lead, I mean, there's lots of characters in that series, yeah. but you were the lead character. And there's a, did you feel a sense of, I mean, you just said that you felt that you sometimes lack focus, but did you feel a sense of ownership over that character? Would you bring suggestions in? Or... Yeah, because Peter Moffat was brilliant about that. You'd get the scripts, and I wasn't, I was never that, I was like, oh, I don't like this, I'd never say that. And I think sometimes that's good, I'd never say that. I've got own call, I say things every day that I think, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> you know, we do that, you, you know, and there's lots of that. And, 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 and I, sometimes I think it's insecurity with actors, and it's having, you know, we don't have much control, really, yeah. sort of thing. But with Peter, things would happen. And I remember there was one scenario where there was a character that, um, it was Tom Hughes's. Uh, character who's playing my pupil yep. and there was an incident where we kissed and I went oh no I mean don't get me wrong you know I'm not averse to, you know it's a great job you, it was my partner's he's going to kill me but you know <laughs> you get paid to kiss yeah. young handsome men that's fine. fine you know I can do that but I just yeah. felt what are we saying about her what are we saying about Martha that this and I just remember sort of going really can we think about this and he was and then it went and he rewrote it and it went and he went okay I get it. and there was always this thing about Martha and um, Clive becoming a, a couple yeah. and I'd get an episode and then they were going out and they'd be walking through chambers holding hands and I'd be like, oh, don't put them together. Oh, please don't make them. A I think it's much better that the... And why didn't you want that then? Because you didn't want it to be think, conventionally romantic? Yeah, I didn't, or... and I didn't think that that was her. I didn't think she'd go out with Clive. Oh, you see, you do. You are yeah. doing it then. But I think she, I think she, you know, Martha had a love Clive. You know what I mean? And there was this sort of. But I think they had a thing that was more brother and sister. I know at the beginning of the series they had slept together and she'd, she'd had this miscarriage. But I thought it's just sort of felt obvious to me that there was, you know, it's a bit like moon. So everyone loved moonlighting because they never quite got together, did they? It's, it keeps that tension, doesn't it? Will they? Won't they? And the jealousies there that when Clive's character, you know, is a bit of a. And what happens? Have you ever been in a situation? Because that is a, a situation where. A writer is listening to you and so is the director have you ever been in a situation where those ideas that you have are not been oh, yeah. taken on and yeah. how is that for you well you just have to sort of deal with it I'll, I do that sometimes where they'll give you character something to say and, and a lot of the time you create your character there's no backstory there's no bible to who your character is it's like with Martha mm. you know I made up a, a backstory for her that suited me and I, made, I do a buy for all my characters you know it just gives you sometimes you know, because Peter didn't write every episode and new writers come in and it mm. takes them a while to sort of acclimatise. So it gives you, it just gives you us, us some foundation and yeah. things that you can play on and fill, fill out with. But I have done jobs before where you've, you've sort of said to the writer, but that's not what I had in mind. I don't think, you know, I'm saying my character wouldn't do that, but I was going, my character's from, a, I think, a different background or a different situation than that. And they're like, well, this is what we're doing. So, so then I just go, oh, my character's lying when she says this, or <laughs> you find a way around it. Because it's hard, because you do, you know, and there's not a lot of time in television drama to, 
to sort of discuss that because Martha wasn't northern. When I I'd done criminal justice um, that Peter Moffat had written, um, and I remember him saying, "Oh, I said, what are you doing next, Peter?" He said, "I'm writing this drama about a female barrister," and I didn't even quiz him anymore because I just heard female barrister. And even though I was playing sort of Matthew McFadden's very you know yeah. uh, middle class wife in criminal justice, I thought they're not BBC are not going to even think about me for this, so I didn't talk a bit much more and then I remember saying you've got a meeting and my agent said oh you know you, you're very low down on the list sort of thing he's very honest I love him but you're not low down on the list but he said you know there's the, I think they were looking at sort of filmy um, filmy people Filmy people. Filmy people. Are you not a filmy person? I'm not a filmy person. But okay. you know, but you, you know and he said so I'm just because he's great at sort of managing my expectations you know, so I, I went in. He said, yeah, well, he's going to kill me. That's me done. I said, I'll be back to that cooperative in Hampton Bridge tomorrow. Not <laughs> um, but, um, and, and I remember going in for the meeting, and, and I've said this many times. He said, you know, what are you going to do with the accent? When you... And I said, what, what do you mean? What am I going to do with the accent? And he said, well, she's a barrister. You know, she's, she's educated, which, you know, it's really quite rude to say. Yeah. And I said, well, I did go to RADA, and I still talk like this. Yes. Northern is not, yeah. not educated. But then Peter then, when... I got the part. Peter then adapted Martha for me. So then he started to work with the fact that she was northern and working class. So worked for working class background and very different to but that wasn't that's why she wasn't she was she didn't appear on the paper. And that's amazing when you get somebody who, who, who will adapt. do that. And sometimes you. you don't want them to adapt. Sometimes people put the inscription, oh don't put that in, because that's that's me and I don't want to be me. That's why I act, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But you want it to be real. Yeah. But I think it worked perfectly for, you know, the way forward. With. Yeah. Around about the same time, you did um, A Room at the Top. Yes. Um, now, that is completely different. Obviously, it's an immensely famous book written in 1957. And, I mean, we're going to see a clip from it. But one of, the, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, really, was if when you read the book, which I read when I was very young, it's very much from a male point of view. And I think we can see this in the clip we're about to see. There's something different about the television series. So let's see the clip and then we'll talk yeah. about it. I can't get in. Oh, crikey, not this part. You should have Christmas as fast as mine. The kids really there. No point to that I can see once you've grown up. No. You don't have all sorts of things to play with. They don't came to nothing. They don't start the war. I think you blame the war for too much sometimes. I'm not lucky. Shook things up for me.
We'd just like to say thanks so much to Great Meadow Productions for giving us that clip. Um, you were playing Alice Aspel in that, and she's an older woman. Yes. And Joe Lampton, who is the main character in the book, you have an affair. Yes. And it's a love, it's a proper love affair, yeah. isn't it? And yeah. the beautiful thing about that clip, and the indeed the beautiful thing about that series, I think, is that you see much more her reaction. It's much more... You, you feel her aspirations, her desires, in a way that you actually didn't, yeah. you don't really get from the book. Well, because it, Amanda Carr adapted, um, adapted it for, um, for screen, um, and it was such a beautiful adaptation. Um, yeah, and, and I think she, you know, and we, we had a female, Ash, the amazing Ashlyn Walsh directed it, so it was very, you know, the, 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 yeah, the female narrative was, was, was very strong and encouraged, and, and, and obviously, Matthew uh, McNulty as Joe and Jenna Coleman as Susan. Um, yeah. yeah, so the, the two, the, the, both the, the female stories were really pulled out. And I remember, I mean, I know it was uh, the poster, but it was Joe with all, like uh, Zoe Telford and uh, Julia Ford, all the characters within his life, but it was these women. And it was yeah, Joe and his women, but actually how important all those women, his landladies, you know, were, in, were, were to him. And I think, yeah. It's a, it is a very, it's an interesting, interpretation isn't it that hasn't I mean I didn't feel like it had been done before yeah because in the film I remember when it it, 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 it offer came through and obviously the the film with um oh god Lawrence Harvey and and it was Simone Sinuere yeah and you know a one amazing actress but in the book she wasn't French and it's that thing isn't it that I think, I think we still do if uh, you know I think it was Jean Kent I remember doing some research and Jean the actress Jean Kent had wanted to play that part and she was furious because they said she didn't cast her because she wasn't seen as sexy because she was British yeah even British men were not casting yeah. her as as you know were, French being yeah right. well that's you know and of course someone senior oozes mm. sex appeal and and every but uh, and so it, I, I just love the fact of being able to have a go at it as you know, as a British woman, and, 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 and it is, but it is about a love story. It's, it's about those two, they, they really did, and he makes that decision, and obviously money and his future and his ambition sort of wins, you know, wins yeah. out. Yeah. Um, you, you identify as a feminist, quite right, uh, and that was a, a very kind of female turn to that story. Have you ever turned roles down because they don't really uh, chime mm. with your whole feminist belief? Yeah, quite a lot. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you don't have to list them. No, I won't. I never do that. And I, ha I hate it when I have to say, I turned that down, I didn't do that. And I think mm. it's not fair. Because at the end of the day, it wasn't your job. Yeah. I mean, if you've turned it down, it's not your job. And then the person who takes it over, and I mean, you know, my career's been made out of doing things that people have either pulled out last minute or decided they don't want to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. We've all done that. And I just think it's really, it's just, it's, it's uncourteous and, and, and crass. But yeah, I have. And there's quite a lot. And again, I, my, I, I think Michael said time, but I have, I'm not just saying that I have an amazing agent who gets me, who understands, who knows what I'm about, will read something and say, I don't think it's for you. Or sometimes I just get a thing saying, it's, don't th you know, this isn't for you. Or it may be have a read and supports me. Yeah. You know, when there's times when I'm going, no, no, no. I mean, it's, I sound like I'm being arrogant, like I turn down lots of stuff. I don't turn lots of stuff, but there's, there's a lot of things that I will... You know, I'm, 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 other people would read them and probably go, what's your issue with this? Yeah. But and I, what would be your issue then? It's just a lot of the time, you know, sometimes, okay, it's a female lead, but how are they portrayed? 
And there's that brilliant Tracy Ullman sketch that she does about successful women and that it's actually a caricature hmm. and they're going to have a mental breakdown because they've got a family and they're successful. They can't do it. <laughs> you know, it's like every, you get these parts and it's like, yeah, she's successful, but, you know, her whole family life is in tatters. And that's what I loved about Martha. She didn't have a, a life and everybody kept saying, well, she needs a boyfriend. Why? Her, her work is, and that's all right. She, for me, she was still in the scoids. Her work is her family's, what she loves. And, and why can't we ac accept that? But that's not because then she mustn't be, she isn't fulfilled. It's all that nonsense and narrative that needs changing, you know, and it still creeps through in things that I think are trying to be progressive. And you go, oh, but there's still the tropes that you go, oh, that's a bit dull. And yeah, I, the cliches. I am, yeah, and I am picky, you know, and I'm sure there's things that I've done as well that people have gone well back. You know, and sometimes you miss, you can miss things as well. And you go, oh, you get, and you go, oh, actually. Well, I mean, there's a classic incident of that, which I would say, which a lot of people would have turned this role down, which is the role of Myra Hindley. And uh, that one is, is uh, you know, it's a, it's a tricky character to play. You played her, you played her very well. And that's a, a, a completely fine thing to do. Did you learn from taking that role in terms of people's reaction? Because there's a reason to do that role, but what about people's reaction to things? People's reaction was nothing but positive. So I, I you know, again, I think I was, um, I remember hearing about the role coming up. It was my partner, Pav, his friend, um, he's a locations manager. So I <laughs> should get this inside knowledge because they start looking for locations like, a lot of the time before. So I get these little things going, oh, they're doing such a thing about such a thing. So I would sort of heard through the grapevine that they were doing. I just remember my ears picking up and going, oh my God, that would be an amazing part to play. Not, you know, because you, the acting is about delving into the human psyche, yeah. however dark, however disturbing, trying to work that out. And even sometimes you don't even like my idea, you don't work it out. And, and she was a monster and I'm not, you know, it, it wasn't because I had any sympathy or any um, alignment with this character in, in that respect, but I just thought that felt like such a challenge to try and get into that mindset. So I was, I remember speaking to quite a good, uh, you know, some close friends who were actors, you know, were going up for it and they were really in two minds about going for the audition. Yeah. And I never, I was like, I want this. I was yeah. very much focused on, I really want this part. Where other people are like, I'm not sure it's a good thing to do. Will it damage my career? Will it damage my image? And I just thought that never even entered. I didn't think I had an image to damage. You what know, about taking stuff. roles home? I mean, do you, you know, that's an intense role to have to take. Do you ever take some these emotions? I've, I've heard actors talk about taking emotions home. Yeah, I think it's a, bit like a, it's a bit like having a hangover. So I don't think I take the full character home, but you, you, there's resi there is residue sometimes. You can find, you can be a bit... I remember... Do you need a big English breakfast to so, make yourself better? So, yeah, yeah, and an anchovy. <laughs> a couple of barocas and a... But, no, it, um, yeah, you do... Yeah, it sort of leaves a funny residue. You can, but I think your brain's a muscle, so you play one character and you're pushing it emotionally one way. It's like anything, so it takes a bit of time for it to sort of realign itself back. But I don't go... You know, I didn't... And, and, and I remember feeling bizarrely very, and I'm positive, very oddly confident playing Myra. You know, I got quite cocky. There was something about the chemistry. Obviously, it was wicked and evil, but it, they, they thought they were better than everybody else. And I remember quite having this bit of a, sort of a bit of a, a, a swag, you know, some odd yeah. swagger that didn't last very long. But you do, you take little, you know, things just sort of linger for a little bit. What about if you were offered a, a, a character, I'm just picking somebody out of the air, uh, like Margaret Thatcher or Theresa May, 
that you might feel was going against your politics. Would you ever take a character like that? Depending on the... I mean, I wouldn't make Margaret Thatcher because I think, God almighty, we've done so much. No more about Margaret Thatcher, <laughs> She's gone now. She doesn't deserve it. <laughs> you know, and it's still like, oh, but let's feel sorry for her. You know what I mean? And, you know, anyway. Well, anyway. <laughs> To me, it's the story. I wouldn't. I would play a raving Tory. I'd play a right-wing, you know, extremist. If the story is saying something yeah. that I feel, it's not. I don't have to be the good person in the story, as long as the story is telling something that I feel is important and that I believe in. And you know, and I think you can be sometimes more important in a story if you go in against what the, the yeah. you know, what the message is. I have no, you know, desire to always be on the on the good side, as long as that the, you know, the, the story I'm involved with is telling yeah. something interesting and important and yeah okay and it's a good character yes exactly okay which brings me to the next character <laughs> which is uh, hamlet we're going to see a little bit of uh, your hamlet which is at royal exchange mm. Don't make well, that no, face. Well, no, it's just, it's, it's just I, I, I watched, the, when I went to the screening of this, and I sort of went, you know, I, I was very sort of, yeah, I went, I was down for a couple of weeks. Because it's weird, because it was a theatre production, and then they filmed it, and then seeing yourself, you know, full pelt doing theatrical, uh, and it was at the end of the seven-week run, and then they film it, and you just got, it's, it feels like an assault of the senses, and every... <laughs> Every crime that you shouldn't commit on screen acting, I completely. So, do you not this. do you not feel that um, that filming a stage performance is a good thing? Because sometimes that's the only way that people see exactly. it. Exactly. No, and don't get me wrong, and it's done. It's been great, and that the fact that you know it has been able to have another life, of course. But mm. the beauty of theatre is you never have a chance. You can't even, you know, it's, it's slightly. Um, what can I say? Sadistic to watch yourself back anyway. But what I love about theatre is it's gone. There's no chance of seeing it back to, you know, um, yeah. berate yourself on your Tough fault. Look. Well, exactly. So <laughs> I apologise. We're going to see it now. <laughs> Stop shouting. <laughs> no, 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 no
<laughs> Great haircut also, I have to say. But uh, the best cut. Everybody kept saying, oh, we love your hair. We'll just get your hair cut. Oh, yeah, well, you know. all that. Three hours of pumping truth. <laughs> and that's all you get. <laughs> that's all you get. Okay, so uh, obviously Hamlet is usually played by a man. But when you were playing the part, did gender affect your thinking? Or were you just thinking about it as a character? We sat... So Frank and me directed it. When we first decided we talked about it for years and neither of us have had actually the confidence to commit to it um and then we, yeah it took, well, I th she survey tells me it was 10 years previously that i suggested it i i wouldn't have thought i was that arrogant 10 years ago but maybe i did I, it must have been in jest and anyway blah 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 we when we sort of went right we're doing it we, we you know we're gonna it, it's it's going into the season it's done it's yeah. um we talked like the royal about, exchange yeah the royal exchange in manchester we talked about and sarah said initially to play it female. Um, but the more and more I read it and the more I studied it, I said, I, I'm, I'm, I can't. I don't know why. And, that's, and actually, that probably was a fault. Maybe that's what I should have really tried to do and tried to crack. So we decided, um, and because we wanted to make it for Manchester, I mean, when was it? Seven, eight years ago? Yeah. No? Yeah, something like that. We wanted to make it contemporary, very much for Manchester at the time. And there was just something about making... Hamlet transgender that really spoke to us, mm. that really spoke to, you know, Sarah's politics within that theatre. Um, so we discussed and discussed it. And we, we, you know, and we, we talked to all the other actors as well because we said, would this be an issue for you? You know, just because, of, you know, they've got to play with Hamlet and the word, and we didn't want to change any of the, you know. And, so, and everyone was like, no, brilliant. And, and it, for me, it seemed to work. It, I think Hamlet's such a, a great piece that it will absorb so much. Yeah. absorbs as much as you can throw at it, really, unless you go completely, you know, off kilter. But was, so, um, yeah, so we played that Hamlet was uh, a man born into a, a female body, you know, and that's how we, we that's how we did it. Um, but yeah, the experience, yeah. But we're just talking today about the experience of it and actually the power you, I felt as being, playing as male was yeah. very... Uh, quite shocking and quite enlightening in, in many respects. All right, have you used that? Uh, no. Can no, we, I that, mean, can we use this word? Big dick energy. Big dick. That's well, that's, and I remember going, I am, I am not playing, because I played Hamlet, uh, I played Hamlet, I played Ophelia about 12 years previously with Christopher Eccleston as Hamlet, mm. and, and the get there to an honorary scene was quite dark. And I remember thinking, when I do it, I'm going to be tender to Ophelia, and I'm going to, nah. <laughs> you know, thinking as another, and it just came out this sort of disregard for women that really shocked me. But this, like you said, this big, I don't need anybody. It's all about me. I am, you know, and I think the beauty of Hamlet, as he develops, he grows up and he matures and actually becomes, unfortunately, that's the, the lot that, you know, the tragedy of the loss of him is, is growing into a decent human being. But initially, it's about me. I am the next in line. I yep. am the world revolves around me. So, yeah, being a man, they, they was, I was like, wow, this is, this is something, um, this is very interesting. <laughs> this is a strong drug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's your opinion on uh, gender-blind casting? Because that, that is... Uh, I think it's brilliant, and I think we're more... I mean, we're definitely more gender-blind. We mean more, we're definitely more colour-blind casting. You know what I mean? It is make-believe. Theatre, film, television, it's not real, even if it's a, pretending to be real. And we should be able to dispend that disbelief if somebody doesn't look exactly like somebody for whatever reason. And, yeah, I think we definitely need more of it. And I, and I think especially what the beauty of theatre is, it can hold that. 
more. Yeah. I think you can do. And, and what I'm very proud to be part of is, I mean, unfortunately, so, well, not unfortunately, fortunately for uh, Lambda, the drama school, Lambda, Sir Frankham's leaving her the Royal Exchange to go and run Lambda. So we'll, she'll be sorely missed. But what she set out as a blueprint, and I think many theatres and have, have, have followed, is she really is, you know, she's made such a, a, a big fuss about making sure f women are at the centre of yeah. most of her productions and the diversity within her productions. And it is about getting the best person for the job. And, and you've had a very uh, close relationship with Sarah. You've done a lot of work with her, yeah. haven't you, over the years. Um, and she's commissioned your own writing and yeah. you've done lots and lots of stuff with, within the Royal Exchange. Do you, have you ever had a similar relationship with a director, a screen director? I would say in some of Carol Morley, yeah. maybe. Although, yeah. Yeah, because you've yeah. with her. You did I the started off doing Carol's, yeah, short, short films. And again, I remember I was, I'd just, um, I'd literally just moved with my agent at the time. And I remember being offered a, a very popular series, three episodes of something. Um, and I said to my agent, but I've had this call from Carol Morley. And I'd seen Alcohol Years quite a few years before. Yeah, and I thought it was film. fabulous. Um, and, and she wants me to take part in, in a short film. And I just left an agent who I was on, so I was on the club and I was going, no, you really, no, that's ridiculous. You don't turn this down to do a short film. And then I knew that my agent was the right one. He went, no, you go and do. And, and that's, you know, sometimes you go for the long run. And I, I just could see yeah. Carol's talent and that she was a real auteur and had this vision, this, you know, brilliant bright vision and so I, I did quite a few shots with Carol then I did a first feature Edge yeah. and then The Falling and then she's too big for me and gone off to America but that's fine but no she'll come but back. she's still you know and she's a <laughs> I mean it's like with Sarah she's a friend and foremost and that's yeah. the other thing I said to Carol look just because you know we've worked together we are friends now there's no it's the same with Sarah I do not you do not expect what I've gained out of that is a brilliant friendship so that you don't expect to go well you're doing a project therefore I must be in it would yeah. be lovely because I love working with the, the pair of them because you feel very safe that's I think that's the gift most actors look for is somebody that you can collaborate with that you feel safe and it will also push will push you into you know will stretch you and push you which Sarah does you know really does but you feel safe within that you feel that trust yeah and what about the I mean you were kind of slightly cringing at your theatrical performance which obviously is needed for stage but is there stuff that you take from the theatre when you're acting on screen or is it completely completely different I used to go oh it's like uh, you, you know it's it's two different disciplines completely but I, I find <sighs> I feel my screen work is really informed by that if I've done if usually if I've done some stage pre previous mm -hmm to that I don't know because at the end of the day I mean I know I'm cringing and saying I've committed every crime against screen acting it doesn't matter how big you are as long as the inner truth is 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 there yeah. you know and I think we're, we're sometimes in a climate now where not much is going on mm -hmm. and I find that slightly frustrating it doesn't matter how much is going on as long as it's it's truthful you know I've had people, people say stop wrinkling your forehead it looks ugly and you go well I'm I'm acting. I'm acting, you know, and that's what I do. And I, as a person, I gesticulate and I'm a bit, you know, most pictures of me, I'm sort of gurning or doing. But there's this thing with, you know, it's all in the eyes. Well, it's not. It's all in the truth. So it, to me, it doesn't matter if you, you squidge up your face or you wrinkle up your nose or you, you know, it's as long as it's truthful, as long as you, yeah, you know, this nice one tear that just sort of 
very still face. Yeah, not many people cry like that. No, they don't, do they? No, definitely don't. They definitely don't. Okay, I'm going to, I, there's no way of doing this, but I'm going to do a big, you know, kind of, and now for something completely different, because what I want to talk to <laughs> you about now is uh, you in Black Mirror in uh, 2017, where I have to say that what you're doing is fighting a futuristic <laughs> robo-dog. Yeah. So I think we should see the clip and then maybe unpick a bit. Oh, yeah, please. Can we do that? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I have spoken to you about this <laughs> program before. It's uh, written by Charlie Brooker. It's directed by David Slade. But the thing that I was most shocked about is there was no robo dog. No, God You no. had to act. It wasn't real. No, no. I will. I am shocked. But I will never, ever call any actor in an action-type movie ever again. It's, I don't know how they do it. Because I'd be like, where, where is it? Where, is it? where am I looking? Where am I looking? <laughs> it's, well, it's coming between those, where about those trees though? Right, okay. Right, okay. Oh, it's really hard. <laughs> it's, I don't know, people, constantly in those sort of sci-fi series that you're just looking at, you know, tennis balls on a stick. I haven't got, I haven't got that skill. Yeah. I'd just be like, um, yeah. But, but, it was, but it's an absolutely terrifying episode. It's a terrific episode. Um, and you were acting at, at nothing, is this right, all the way through? Yeah, some people have said, don't worry, you've done that 
profile. <laughs> <laughs> when you're doing that, I mean, it's a, you need a particular technique, don't you? What are you doing in order to do that? It's just a, a question of imagination. Have you got yeah. a little, like, stuffed puppy down there? Well, like? we did have this lovely guy, Christian, who was a puppeteer, who had, like, um, it, it, it was, well, it was just like a, a stick with a wheel on it, with a bit of a body on it. And, and, he used to, and I used to say to him, oh, Christian, love, can you stop smiling? Because he'd, he'd come running out. <laughs> And, and he did that, but then he fell over, I think, at like day three, and, and bless him, broke his shoulder. So we, he'd gone, so then it was just, just nothing. You were literally acting against just nothing. nothing at all. Yeah. And how did you feel when you saw it then? Because this is a Well, I went, if I'd have known it were that scary, I'd have acted a bit better. <laughs> no, I, I did. I, I mean, I was like, my God, that's, you know, I'd never. It was weird because obviously I was trying to go, stop, stop looking at yourself. Just what? And I, I mean, the. the it's a terrifying it's, episode. Yeah, the special effects are extraordinary. And it was, it was, I was watching it going, wow. It was the first thing I think I watched that I actually sort of forgot I was in it because I was just watching this, this creature going, that is terrifying. And how are you when you normally, when you watch yourself in things? Do you watch yourself back? Some actors don't watch themselves at all, do they? It depends. Sometimes I don't, but I can't sort of help it. It's a bit like picking a wound. And sometimes I watch and go, oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought. That's all right. And then I feel better and then I can sleep that night. And then sometimes I just go, oh. Are you the kind of person who would want to see rushes while you're, in a, while you're filming? Or? Oh, I remember sort of doing that once. And people going, do you watch stuff back? And then I go, oh, can we do it? Oh, actually, can we do it again? And then it was like, we can't keep, oh, can we do it? Yeah, no, we'd never, it'd never move on. And you've got, to, you've got to trust as well that I think, you know, you get, a great editor will sort you can do can work wonders you know what I mean so sometimes you go don't watch it just let it let it go and there's a lot of work to be done before it's the end product. yeah but also there's a sometimes there's a, a to do it that it's just to do with time isn't it so if you look at your earlier performances are you more forgiving of yourself or you know yeah and you do you work I, I'll God, I remember not so long ago flicking through the channels and there was an old episode of Dell and Pascoe that I'd done. I was supposedly playing a doctor. Oh, my God. I was like, how did I ever have a career? I was terrible. But it is acting like anything. I think it's that. That's the thing. It's, it's getting the opportunity to be able to do it. I've been lucky that I've, you need... You know, it's funny. We were saying in, in, in the green room that you sort of can't do it on your own, which is a shame because athletes can go for a run. But acting, you need to do it to get better. Some people are just born gifted and can just... But, and, you know, you need the experience, you need to learn. And that's why I did for really early on, I mean, is watch everything I did. Because I would watch it and go, oh, God, no, no, that's not good. Or that doesn't... But then sometimes it never stops and you just go, you're just pulling it to pieces now, leave it. And actually, sometimes it's not, it's none of your business what you think about your performance. You know what I mean? It's, it's down to the audience. It's for them. It's not for you. Yeah, for them you know. to decide yeah. what it is. Okay. Um, it's another segue, I'm afraid. We're going to go, we're gonna go into... You've been doing kind of uh, a few more films. And, yes. you know, obviously you've done... You did uh, Peterloo with Mike Lee. You approached Mike Lee, is that right, in order to... Yeah, do I wrote him a postcard and said, please... What was on the front of the postcard? Oh, it was, um, it was from the Paris Commune. I got it from the Working Class Movement Library, obviously, cause, um, <laughs> in Salford. And uh, it said, Viva la Commune. And I just said, you know, dear Mike, it's brilliant that, you know, I'm so excited that you're doing this film. I would love to be part of it. I understand if there's not a part for me, but I'm just thrilled that you're bringing the story to a wider audience. And then he wrote back, he has this most immaculate handwriting. And it's sort of, he writes sort of in a triangle shape, you know, and he, he just said, of course you can be in it. You know, let me know. Well, let, once I decide what I'm doing, I'll be in touch. Amazing. And then, yeah, it was about three or four months later, I got the call, and that was 
that was it. But I'd written to him, he's great, Mike, and I'd written, I remember writing to him when I'd left drama school, I'd done my, um, my uh, showcase with Sally Hawkins, where's she now? Um, <laughs> and I said to Sally, we should write to people. So we did these joint, like we both our spotlight pictures in and a letter from us both. And, yeah. and, we, and Nina Gold called us in for a meeting with Mike and Sally, you know, yeah, became one of Mike's, you know, perfect collaborators and, and it, it took me a while, but yeah. And have you written to, would you do that? I mean, would you do that again? Would you, are there directors that you would get in touch with that you... I think so. I, I've, I've done it over the years. I've definitely done it over the years. Or just if I've seen something that I've just thought was fabulous, I've always written. And, and I think it's great. And, 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 I, and I think actors should do it more. And I'm, I'm name dropping now. But I got um, my agent wrong me. I think it was, it was when I was doing Peter Lou. I was um, and said, oh, Judy Dench wants your address. And I thought, oh, it'll be for some charity thing she probably wants. I'd, I've never met her and I'm, you know big fan and then this letter came from Judy Dent saying I, I did um, a radio of uh, the thrill of love about Ruth Ellis yeah. and she wrote me this lovely letter saying I was listening to your radio play the other day and I thought it was wonderful and please could you pass on my congratulations to I thought Judy Dent you know mm. I think we need more of that in our business yeah. you know what I mean to write and support each other because and especially you know women within in the business but I thought I remember having a, I was on the front of my pat <laughs> on the street crying, going, I've just had this lovely... Oh, that's so lovely. You know, but I mean, it's just... But, I mean, I'm digressing from what... But, yeah, I, I would. Uh, and, and in a situation, and it's not about networking or, or bonos, but if you see somebody and you love their work, I used to feel, oh, why would they want a compliment from me? But we all like compliments, don't we? Yeah, it doesn't I, matter. I say flattery will get you everywhere, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> so it's, Okay, well, yeah. I'll flatter you about this one then. Okay, we're going to see uh, a clip from Funny Cow, which I have to say, I think you're fabulous in it. Um, the clip that we're going to see is, we'll have a, a little bit of uh, writing on it, the credits, but it's a lovely clip, and then we're going to talk about it. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a big welcome to Funny Cow. <laughs>
My mum, she took it back. She turned to drink. She went out on there. One night she come home with one pound and two pence. I said, bloody hell, mum, who's give you two pence? She said, they are, mum. Amazing. Terrific film, and you're Thank finally you. being a comedian. Yes. Fantastic. Yes. But that was because Tony Pitts wrote it for me. So we'd right. done uh, Red Riding in 1980. Yeah. I don't remember the Red Riding trilogy based on the David Peace novels. And there was myself, uh, Tony Pitts, and Paddy Considine. And yeah. Paddy's, Paddy's, in this Paddy's in this film as well. And um, Tony had approached me and said at the time, a TV producer had said to him, you're working with Maxine, you need to write something for her. And he said, what, have you got any ideas? And I'd always wanted to do something playing, you know, a, a comedian who worked the working men's clubs. And I'd been, you know, even though I was huge into Victoria Wood, I'd always had this fascination with Marty Kane. Yeah. You know, I don't even remember Marty Kane, but this glamour, she was this beautiful, She was tall, gorgeous, elegant. Her, she was, her name came from Tomato Kane, didn't it? Because she was kind of a redhead and very tall and hilarious around in yeah. the 70s, wasn't she? Yeah, and just, and she'd worked her way up and she'd, She'd worked in a cafe and, and then she'd heard a friend made a bit of extra cash doing, you know, work in the club. So she decided to get into that. And then obviously then a, a star was on the ascent. And then unfortunately she got, I think it was lymphoma and she passed away. But I'd read her book years ago, Coward's Chronicles. And I just thought she was, yeah, inspiring. And, and, and yeah, what must it have taken for a woman at that period to work her way up through the Wicker Men's Clubs if it was such a, a male, misogynistic world? So, anyway, I told Tony about this, and Tony went, well, as it happens, my mum knew Martin, and as it happens, I used to run comedy clubs. So he went off, and he said, I'm going to write it, and I thought, oh, I'm not here for him again. And then two weeks later, I got a phone call. I was living up ahead in Bridge. He said, come up, I've, I've finished it. And I went, oh, this is not going to be very good. He's only been at it two weeks. <laughs> so I went and read it. And I thought it was beautiful, but it took us nine years to get it made. And why was that? Because nobody wanted to finance a film with me in the lead. And people didn't... This seems completely astonishing to me. But it's very... It's, oh, it's so complex, and you're on lists, and, and, and you... What are these points. lists? I don't know, God knows. But, there's, but you know, the... the I think it's slightly changing now, and you see, you know, there's always that thing, if you did too much television, then you couldn't do film, or there was a snobbery. But I think, you know, there's, there's actors now who are breaking through that and doing good telly and film as well, you know what I mean? But I was brought up on that you did, you know, you, you did the good tellies. If you did too much telly, then people would see, and I've had, you know, feedback that, so you too telly, too telly. I think they think it's a and very what different And what do you think that means? Oh, okay, so there you go. You I think, think it's a, a snobbery as well. There used to be a snobbery, but I think the way that television's going now, and it's sort of in some ways overtaking yeah. film and the money that's put into television, I think maybe that it, it, it's shifting. Yeah, and the quality that's coming out of, yes. of television is very different. And film stars now are, do, you know, film yeah. stars are now moving into television and... But that's a, but that, I mean, there's also an idea, I suppose, that it is, it's, are you bankable? Is yes, that part of, course. of it? Yes. So it's to do with, you know, if you have a certain person in the lead, then you get a certain amount of money. Yeah, and you might be, you know, you might pull millions of views on television, but they see that audience as a very different audience for film. Yeah. And, I mean, Funny Cow did, uh, you know, it had no major funding for many of, you know, it was all self... Um, Kevin propped to the producer. I mean, he pulled money in from all over 
you know, it was lots of, um, you know, individual financing. And, and, and actually, it did so well at the box office for a film of its, yeah. of its um, budget. Yeah, you know. and it's a beautiful, it's a, it's a, it's a terrific film. Yeah. Do you think that once those, you know, more films like that, one, smaller films that do well, do you think it then leads people to, to think, okay, this is, you know, you are bankable. This, this means that you, you know, you then go on to films or. Well, I've not, I've, you know, they've not. The film offers haven't been flowing in this really But I think you, do, you know, you look. I mean, recently, Emily Beechner is just one of the best actors that can. Yeah. You know, Daphne, which was a, a low budget indie, but brilliant and a brilliant performance. And then, yeah. you know, I don't know, I don't know, you know. But then, and then to be in Little Joe, and then so you hope. Yeah. But. I, I don't know. Maybe it coming in at my age might be slightly more of a struggle. I don't. I don't know. I mean, but that's what I love doing. British, especially British independent. Oh well, I'm saying British because I've not done anything mm. other than British independent movies. But I love the fact because they are collaborative. They are. You do feel most of the time you feel like you're working on on, on a team. You know, everyone's mucking together because there isn't a lot of money and everyone's doing it for the love. Yeah. You know what I mean? It isn't big money banding about. People are not getting paid ridiculous amounts of money to turn up and do a day, you know, and big stars coming in. But, you know, what Tony did, I mean, we, we were really struggling and then we needed a male, you know, to get the film financed. I wasn't going to finance it. They needed a, a, a male um, lead. And we had the wonderful Martin Freeman attached. I sort of did that cheeky thing where we were, I went, I was at a, 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 a BAFTA awards and I was chatting to him and he said we need to work together and I said well actually I, I've got something for script. you and I thought he'll never do it in a million years I'll get you know sent Kevin the producer sent it over to him and he said I'll do it because I think you know there's amazing the people like Martin will support like you know Stevie Graham who's in it yeah Stevie Graham didn't need to do that part in this film but they'd support you know anyway Long story short, when we eventually got to film, Martin wasn't available. So then we sort of rung Paddy and went, are you Paddy, what are you doing? <laughs> so there's <laughs> lots of us. calling favours, you know, Diane Morgan, Diane, please we come and be in it. Christine Bottomley, it was all just getting, that was the beauty of it. And, and, and Tony knew sort of John Bishop from back in there, Kevin Eldon was Richard an old friend Hall, of it. Richard Hall, yeah, Tony and Richard are really good friends. So Richard came to be in it, Corinne Bailey Ray, you know, it was this amazing cast of people who just came because they loved the script and they were friends of Tony's and just wanted to be in, involved in it. I've got an idea for you. Yeah. Okay. You could write your own films and get them financed, no? Because you've been writing a lot. Yeah, I've been, yeah, stage. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to do more and, and have a bit more control. Although I, the stuff that I've written, I've been in the radio plays that I've written, but actually stage plays I haven't. And I quite enjoy writing something and letting somebody else then create that final, put the finesse on that, that character. The, That's know, quite interesting because a lot of actors say they start writing because they haven't found the roles that they want, so they're going to, especially women actually, Yeah. and so they then write the role that they would quite like. But then there's a point where I go, but I, do I need to play this role? And actually there's something satisfying about seeing somebody else do it who may not, I'm not saying needs the work more than you do, but, you know, the whole thing is that yeah, I want to, I've got so many amazing female actor friends who do not work as much as they should. And, and there's some joy as well of going, you know, if you can just, you know, because I, I know they're brilliant and, and right, for, and which is, which is great with theatre because it's not as controlled. Yeah. You know, I've done, I, I did a play at West Yorkshire Playhouse. I did a play up in Hull with Sarah Franken for Hull City Culture. And the last one I did was a Royal Exchange, Queens of the College. Um, and, you know, be able to write female parts and, and have a hand in the casting as well is... Is, 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 yeah, I, I get a lot of joy out of that. 
You also get a bit of control, which is yes. harder for actors, isn't it? Yeah, we don't have any control. I think there's a bit of a myth. I mean, you can see, you know, when you see a lot of credits going up and it's executive producing, they'll be the, the lead in, and I think that's what actors start to do now, setting up production companies. You know, you see all these amazing women, Sharon Hogg, um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge are coming through, creating their own stuff, Diane Morgan, Diane Zumore. Yeah, it is. I think, you know, when young people, you know, I always used to complain. And I remember sitting, that's why I started to, to rise, because I, I spent more years sitting with friends, coming to London, sitting in a coffee shop, and everybody going, oh, I'm not getting off of the roles I want, or I'm getting offered roles, but they're not really that exciting, or the this and that. And I was like, well, we, we can't keep wasting our energy drinking coffee. We've got to do something about it. Yeah. So it wasn't that I went, oh, I'm a writer. I just thought, I've got to put my money where my mouth is, really. Yeah. I can't keep complaining because I it's nobody's gonna it's that whole thing. This business doesn't owe you anything. Nobody's gonna change it for you. You've got to sort of do it yourself. And also you need to have the confidence to do it because sometimes I think that uh, women in particular, working class women in particular, yeah. are told to keep in their own range. Yeah. And actually, if you push out, you're automatically a role model for other people anyway. Well that's it. and what I was lucky was when I the first radio play I wrote that got adapted for stage barrel was that I'd approached somebody with the idea for somebody else to write it and the producer director, Justin Potter, said, you should write it. And my partner, Pav, had been saying, you should write. But having that, if I'd have been a, not a name and written that play and handed it into the BBC, I'm sure it would have just disappeared somewhere. Yeah. So I had that privilege and I was lucky that because I had a profile, people would read things and go, well, actually, you know, it was like Beryl. Well, we'll do it if you'll play Beryl. So I was like, okay. So the radio players and Queens of the College will do it if you'll play Anne Scargill. Okay, I'll do it. And then being able to move on to the theatre and go in, I don't have to be in it. No, you don't. It's not prerequisite that you're in it. To get to, we'll do it. Yeah. So. Um, and can you see more of that in the future then? Because you can keep all these different po these things bubbling. You've got acting. You can you, you direct. You write. Are you interested in keeping all these different strands? Yeah, and I think, and I think yeah, definitely. And definitely as a female, and definitely as a female encroaching on middle age. You know, you've got to, and it's about being fulfilled as well, because it's not that even if the parts don't come, it's what are those parts, and do I really want to, you know, and I sound, you know, I don't want to sound arrogant, and I'm in a very privileged position, and that might not always be there. So at least if you, you spread your net a bit wider, you can still gain some fulfillment artistic fulfillment from writing or directing and, and I think as you do get older there's times when I find acting is harder it's harder to put yourself on the line I was saying now with theatre it's nerves I've just done a one woman show at the Barbican and I said it's not nerves anymore it's anxiety you know it's different so not having to constantly put yourself in that position and I still love it and I hope I'll do it till the end of my days but being able to take the pressure off a bit and yeah occasionally you, yeah away. and you do look at and if you think about it you go this is quite a ridiculous job for a grown adult to still be doing <laughs> well, you know there, there is that we're yeah. very glad you still are Maxine <laughs> I have to say um so I can see you lovely audience well I can kind of see you lovely audience oh I can really see you lovely audience um we have some time for audience questions and you've been sitting there immensely patiently you're all right, you're, you're, they're all fine. Look at them. They're beautiful. <laughs> um, do we have any questions for Maxine? I see you first. You put your hand straight up, mate. So I see you and you're right in my eye line. Thank you. Hi, Maxine. Um, Hi, thank you for being here tonight. It's been a wonderful evening. Oh, thank you. Um, I had a question. You spoke about acting being about delving into someone, another human being's psyche. And then you work it out. And sometimes you don't work it out. Yeah. Could you talk a bit about those moments when you don't work it out? Yeah, I suppose, yeah. I, I, I mean, I suppose maybe you... It's not about not working it out, but there's times when you have to sort of 
I suppose you don't always win. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. I you don't know. have maybe get exactly where you want to go, you think, and can be very hard on you, yourself. And sometimes, you know, and you do have to sort of align yourself sometimes with that character and find within yourself what, what does resonate and sometimes reflects. And sometimes that can be quite scary when you, you know. Because I think we're it. also multifaceted. I think we have this thing, don't we? We're all one personality. Oh, they're like this, like. But we're in different situations. We're all very different. But I find out because I remember art at school. Like I, I, I dropped it in the end because I remember my art teacher actually slapped me on the back of my legs, Mrs. Brown, because she went, "I'm so frustrated with you." Because every time I do something, I went, "It's not good enough. It doesn't look right," and I screw it. And she said, "Just work on it." You know what I mean? And sometimes that can be with acting, and sometimes you just got to let it be a bit organic as well, and give yourself a bit of an easy time and trust. Sometimes that the words will do it for you, the script will do it for you. Just you know, yeah, be relax. a bit open and, 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 and sometimes you can surprise yourself and you go, wow, I didn't realise that was going to go that way or that was going to hit me like that. But yeah, yeah, I think... And does that come with experience then, do you think, that, that learning that, okay, it will be all right, I yes. might be really panicking about this yeah. and I might feel like I'm doing it really wrong, but it will come. That's what I, especially with theatre, I do that every time with theatre and in fact, I, the last theatre piece that I did uh, with a wonderful director called and Louise Sachs, and I remember saying on the first day of rehearsal, just to let you know, it takes me a long time. You know what I mean? I said, I will get there. And I remember when I first worked with Sarah Frankham, she confessed to me after she went, I was in a panic going, <laughs> oh my God, she's never going to get there. She says, and then in the last week, you sort of go, <coughs> I said, yeah, but I need to filter it all down. I, I don't want to, I, I don't want to second guess. It's got to be there before I'm confident that it's all layered. I don't want to jump ahead, sort of end game before I really know it's, so, yeah, but I, I sort of, even myself, when I'm going, oh, God, I go, I have to talk to myself, it'll be fine. It has to be fine, because yeah. you're going to get there in front of an audience, so you're going to have to pull something out of the bag, so, you <laughs> Something know. has to Yeah, happen. exactly. Okay. Um, another question? Hello. It's coming along. Here comes the mic. And then there's somebody right at the back as well. Oh, okay, but I'll put my specs on there, I can no, see you all I better. I can just speak. Thank, thank you for being here. It's no, brilliant. Thank you for being um, here. Is there a part you're particularly proud of? You know what? I, that's why I asked for room at the top, because I think about 20 people saw it at the time it was on. It had, a, it had a real... Um, we had a problem with the rights. It was a... a, 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 a I won't go into it, but we... It yeah, tricky. it was tricky with the rights. So we filmed it, and then we were sort of told we couldn't show it. Um, and it was all in the, you know, scheduled in the papers, and the reviews came out, and then it was pulled. Um, and then it was sort of put on and it went under the radar. And I just loved that job so much, working with Ashton Walsh and um, Michael, uh, Matthew Minolte is Michael, mm. I know. And we'd done See No Evil together and just a beautiful cast and a beautiful script. And I, I just really, I never like to say I'm proud of anything I've done, but there's something about You are allowed to. Yeah, I just think, and that was such a departure for me, I think, in, in, in some ways, or what people expected at the time that I could do. Yeah, it's a very tender performance. Yeah, it? and it was, I was really, yeah, it was really affecting and I, I had a, such a lovely time on it. So, yeah, that's sort of... I'm, that's I'm the one. Yeah. <laughs> OK, I'm going to put my specs on because I saw you right at the back. Hello. Hi, Maxine. Um, as an industry veteran, I was just wondering um, what your thoughts are on how um, how the industry is evolving. Because, as you said, like you you started to write because you saw that there weren't enough parts for your you know female actresses. And I guess what I'm seeing is that um, there are the same types of films being made and the same types of stereotypes 
um, being cast all over again. And it's almost as if like we haven't, if, uh, the, the industry hasn't really evolved like very much. So I guess I was wondering, what do you think about you know, disruption, so, you know, like, maybe more indie films, like, um, tackling different themes, or, you know, having gender-blind um, and color-blind type casting, stuff like that? Yeah, well, I think, you know, that, I suppose that is the way forward, is, is in the way is the indie scene, isn't it? That's where there's more, we were saying before, that's why I enjoy it, because there's more control. You've not got a big studio or whatever over with a, with a, 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 they've got a bigger picture that they want to adhere to, or they know exactly their audience it, yeah. Or they think their audience is who they're playing to. Marketing is so important. But I know exactly what you mean about the, you know, and sometimes I can feel I can fall into that, that you're being cast again. I remember in an interview once we said, oh, the ubiquitous Maxine Peake. And then when I looked at what ubiquitous meant, I, um, <laughs> I went, oh, oh, God. And I well, think, it's just, you're just working. You know, but you can, you know, you can be the same. And like I said, something's a hit. So instead of going, that was a hit because it was different, let's make something else different. I think we go, oh, let's make something Similar, don't there's a lot of that happens. But it's it's money, isn't it? It's and our, our business uh, does reflect society and it is a big capitalist machine. Really. And there are moves to kind of change things. I have to say that BAFTA is very good at that. that. So BAFTA has various schemes to try and encourage different people to be writing so or to encourage different um, actors at different times of, uh, of their career to kind of move on. So there are moves, but I do think that you are... Right, maybe there needs to be a few more. I'm going to have to put my specs on again. Hello. Oh, God, it's a shock. Um, do we have another question for Maxine? Hello. Hi, Maxine. Hi, it's yeah. a really fantastic evening. I've loved uh, hearing all about your career. You. I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about Three Girls, which was so oh, powerful. Yes. And, um, you know, just talk about the effect that had on you making... Um, the films. Yeah. I, I mean, it's funny. Do you want to explain a little bit about yeah, what so Three Girls is about? First? Three Girls was a, a BBC uh, drama about um, the Rochdale grooming scandal. And I, in, within it, one of the, I played one of the parts, which was Sarah Rowbotham, yeah. who was um, a sexual health worker who blew the whistle on what was happening with these young girls who were um, being groomed by a group of a lot older um, men from the Asian community. Um, and she, you know, within uh, the police, had sort of ignored her and ignored, you know, ignored these young girls. It was all the, you know, they were 12, 13. They were children, you know, but I'd, I'd you know, said there was lifestyle choices that these young girls had chosen. And, they were, you know, a lot of them were very vulnerable young women. Um, so it was following, uh, the, they'd boiled the characters down to three. Um, there was there's hundreds of, of, of young women, but there was um, uh, within the drama they called it three girls because it was uh, Rhea, Liv, and Molly. These amazing three young actresses who took the lead, leading roles as uh, a selection of the girls yeah. who'd been abused. And then I played Sarah, and Leslie Sharp played Maggie Oliver, who was the police detective who got involved. So it, yeah, um, it was an extraordinary response to to three girls. I think it's the best response I've had to anything that I've done. And it wasn't about me, I mean, about the drama. I mean, you know, within the drama, I was quite a small role within it, but Sarah's role was very important. I mean, she made such a difference. And people say about the effect, but it, it, it's been a real positive effect for me because Sarah's now become a really good friend. Amazing. And I think what's happened now with Sarah as well, and with Maggie, and, and, and with the girls, some of the girls that the stores are based on came down to set, and it was extraordinary to see these young women getting on with their lives now. 
Yeah. You know, it's hard, no scars will never heal. But they were really amazing young women who were, you know, forging forward. But, but I think that's when television is brilliant, when it can change people's perceptions. And people were saying to me, yeah, I just used to think all these young girls are just, well, you know, slappers or fags or, it. yeah, asking for it. All that horrible, you know, narrative and, um, and language that goes with it. And actually to make people think again about, yeah. So and there's also, there's, it's interesting, I think, if you put a story like that on the television, there's a status attached to it. You know, just because the story has been noticed and turned into a drama in the first place means that people almost take it more seriously. They might yeah. not have been reading it in the paper, but yeah. it's on the telly, so it means something. Yeah. No, and it wasn't, you know, and we had obviously some horrible backlash from right wingers and blah, blah, blah. But that's sure great, that but that's thing. what, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> You've been on my Twitter feed recently. Um, uh, but, yeah, but it was... It's just about making dramas that get people thinking, to get people thinking about their perceptions, isn't it? And to change people's idea of, you know, um, yeah, it was just a, a, a great thing to be part of. And you got, that's why why you do it. You know yeah. what I mean? Those are the, those reasons, those those experiences. And, and what I find the beauty of doing those kind of roles is the people that you meet along the way. You know, I remember, I mean, it's different, but Silk, you know, I was packed off to go and interview Helena Kennedy QC. And you meet yeah. all these amazing, especially amazing women. I remember doing a play written by Sarah Helm and going to meet, you know, spending time with her. And you just go, wow, it's a privilege. I do this anyway. And then outside of it, I get to, you know, spend In the interest time of research. With, yeah, to some to extraordinary people who've done some really extraordinary things, not just pranced around in a costume and pretending to be somebody else. You know. <laughs> more than that okay i think we've got uh, time for one more question and i do see you i have to say you lucky man here comes the mic maxine thanks again um i just wanted to ask about re related to funny cow obviously you mentioned about the fact that it did really well based on for the scale of the project it was i mean what sort of in terms of the ongoing process for that is there what catalyst has it been in terms of you getting something else made in the future i mean what's been the knock-on effect of the success of that well i think kevin uh kevin proctor and adrian shergold who, di who directed the film have just done their next finished their next project which is called cordelia um um and and that's got i mean it's got quite that's got a real stellar cast you know, Gambon's in it, Johnny Flynn's in it. Oh, the Gambon. Antonia Campbell. Oh, my God, that's terrible. That's shocking that I don't know. But um, so um, so they've got that next project and Kevin's now going on. But we've made that... What's great now is it's making that contact with that group of people and I keep bobbing into the office going, OK, so what are you doing next? And talking about ideas and being able to have somebody that, that you know, is openly saying to you, what, have you got any ideas? What do you think next? So it's it's great to have that, you know independent collaboration within yeah you know, and you are now a bankable film star well i don't know about that i don't <laughs> think it's crossed. you are but definitely a bankable film star okay i think it's time to wind up thank you i'd like to say thank you so much to you you've been a terrific audience completely engaged lovely to be spend time with you and of course thank you to the most fantastic thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.